Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me, as always, is my co-host and super groove advisor, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I'm doing great, Andy. How are you doing? I'm great. We have a special guest. We have a guest star. Yes, we do have a special <laughs> guest star. Uh, this is uh, Brett Neithamer, who is a Spalding MFA graduate and the co-founder of theholygoof.com, which is a website that deals with pop culture of various media. Uh, if you want to see Brett specifically on that site, he's featured on that as Brett's Flicks, uh, or Brett's Flicks, uh, movie where he does re- movie reviews, both written and video. Brett, it's great to have you here. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I was very, very uh, pleased when you asked me to come on because I love the show and I love you guys. And it's ah! been so long since we've like actually chatted and hung out and done stuff. So this all around, it was just a win for everything. <laughs> Well, Brett, you picked The Emperor's New Groove, and I am so curious as to why you picked this Um, movie. It is quite possibly my favorite Disney film. Um, Now, it may not be necessarily their best film overall. (laughs) I think that that title might still be held by Lion King or one of those other classics. However, just personal taste, I absolutely adore this movie. I'm so glad that you picked it. Well, we have some key facts we're going to share. Let's, um, the Emperor's New Groove was Academy Award nominated for Best Original Song, My Funny Friend and Me, which was co-written by Sting and David Hartley. And the movie has mixed reviews. I mean, you just mentioned, Brett, that it was maybe not their best, but Variety Magazine called it a new attitude in the halls of Disney animation uh, in their animation unit. And Roger Ebert called it a goofy slapstick cartoon in the vein of Donald Duck. But yes. the Austin Chronicle, which I was in Austin at the time when I read this, uh, really panned it and claimed that the movie only served to make older members of the audience long for the Daves of Dwarves, Beauties, and Poisoned Apples. Um, <laughs> that's that's so, a fantastic uh, statement right there. <laughs> so yeah, mixed, right? Um, wow. So during, produ- during production, the movie underwent this massive shift. And um, Ellie Life's Bob Strauss called it a more... It was a more serious pre-Columbian adventure fable, and it turns to more of a David Spade burlesque. (laughs) I mean, I personally like David Spade burlesque, so that works. But you can see some of that transformation in the documentary called The Sweatbox, which I I recommend you check out. So overall, the movie grossed 89.3 million U.S., and another 80 million worldwide. So people really did like this movie. But it is a huge departure, as Brett said, from movies like The Little Mermaid and The Lion King, thematically and structurally. And I just want to add, this is the very last Disney movie of the 20th century. If you say uh, the 20th century ends in the year 2000, uh, this this is the tail end of that. And until Andy and I start breaking our rule about going past the 20th century... (laughs) We've we've done it beginning to end. Now we just need to, I have the end of your show Snow already White. for you. Now we're just yeah. filling in the gaps. Yep. That's now right. we're just filling That's the right. gaps. Um, so whenever we start uh, talking about a movie, I always bring up the concept of the Manish Tana, uh, which is one of the quest. Uh, the four questions from Passover begins with the phrase Manish Tana. Uh, why is this night different from all other nights? In other words. Why do we start this movie where we start it? Right, yeah. Why is this the space? 
And it's sometimes linked to the inciting incident. But in this movie in particular, I'm really curious what you guys think. We start the movie in the middle of the movie. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the, the story. Actually, yeah, the all is lost, actually. Yes, yes, the all hope is lost moment, We're, for we're sure. in the pit of despair. Yeah. Uh, right. Cusco is a llama uh, crying in the storm. Um, why do we start here? You know, I think they made the decision to start that there as almost like a safeguard against Cusco's personality early in the film. Because he's, you know, he's purposefully a jerk. He's very over the top. He's very eccentric. He's very theatrical. And he's extremely selfish. And I feel like they almost were afraid that if they just started there, that it would, like, take people a little bit longer to get to like him. And by having Kuzco comedically make fun of himself in the beginning... And, but yet yet promising that there will be a change. I think that was like their way of kind of like hedging their bets. <laughs> I think you're right, Brett. And I think, I mean, you see, we start, we start at his comeuppance, right? Yeah. Because when we meet Cusco, if, let's say we didn't have that moment, we would meet him. He'd be this greedy, spoiled, entitled narcissist who really doesn't care who he hurts. And so... You know, I know he's going to get to a place of pain at the beginning. And honestly, that keeps me watching. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) The movie literally has to tell us who the protagonist is, because otherwise we would see him as the villain. Snow White opens with the evil queen asking who's the fairest of them all. She's got her own groove, right? Mm. Is there anything different about how we're introduced to her? and how we're introduced to Cusco if we start at the beginning while he's human. I mean, the, no, the that's diff- a fair point. And that's actually, like, it's interesting because I think Disney, I think this movie's very clever. And uh, there's a reason that this was almost like, uh, in terms of style, like a changing of the guard uh, for Disney animation. And that's like, at this point, I think it's almost like Disney becoming self-aware of their structure. And, like kind of spoofing on themselves so they're taking this character that in a typical disney structure would be the villain and then they're like flipping it for the audience kind of thing you know if we didn't have this moment it just occurs to me if we didn't have this moment at the beginning with the sad llama and the rain we would see the evil we would see pot um cusco and then we would meet pacha and we would immediately assume pacha's the protagonist that's true I, I want to throw out here that I have to believe what we're seeing is a solution to a problem that they were dealing with in the writing room. Because by doing it this way, they rob us of the wackiness of seeing Cusco randomly be transformed into, of all things, a llama. Right? That's a fair point. We right. know he, we are anticipating yeah. he's going to be turned into a llama. That should be like a like a jab out of nowhere of all of the random things to happen in this movie. I did not see that coming. Right. Right. Uh, I, I, I have to believe they were like, Nope, he's coming off too villainous. He's too much of a jerk. Nobody likes him. We have to, and the solution is steal this little bit mm-hmm. and then do literally, literally they're, they're talking through their writing technique. Okay. Yeah. We're going to start here and then we'll rewind. Yeah. Right. Like, right. Yep. Interesting. 
That is, yeah, I had I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's that's a very interesting way to look at that, and that's probably true. <laughs> that's yeah, I, that's feels, probably why they it did feels it. true, right? It feels it, it feels, feels right, like, yeah. You, as writers, you could all see, you could see, well, gosh, he's coming off bad. We've already got this cut. Like, we've already made this thing. What can we put where to fix this? And it feels like almost even the narration is almost a way that we're going to, okay, we're going to mess with this. And even in a jokey way, like, oh, the movie's about me. Remember? Remember how yeah. the movie's about me? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost like this, like, afterthought of, like, how are we going to fix this? See, and not, that and makes it me... works. I mean, it's, it's, it's fun, and it works. And, you know. It's a great way to solve a problem. That makes me wonder if the the later jokes where he like freezes the movie and like circles himself and does that. Like, I wonder if that was in the original script or if that also came because they were like, oh, well, we crap. We can't exactly have this moment just <laughs> appear once. It can't be a one off. Like we have to have if if Kuzco is going to break the fourth wall, it has to happen more than once. So then they added this extra moment. I mean, to the point where we get to where where Isma and Kronk are at the palace, and Kuzco goes, "Wait, you guys were behind us. How'd you get in front of us?" And, <laughs> right. and Isma Isma turns to Kronk and goes, "I don't know." And Kronk goes, "Yeah, that's kind of weird." And then they just shrug and <laughs> they, they pull and they pull down the map, and he's like, "Logically, that that doesn't make any sense." Yes, every story problem they solve by saying, "Yeah, it doesn't make sense." With the joke, yeah, With yeah, the joke. Exactly. they they uh, definitely. It's it's funny. Um, the, the in that other review, they mentioned the the Looney Tunes of it all, the, and, yes. and that is one hundred percent true. Like I, it this movie doesn't necessarily feel like a strictly Disney film. It feels like a Disney film meets like Animaniacs or Looney Tunes, very much that old Warner Brothers zany cartoon feeling. Before we get into the plot, I have one thing that I want to talk about. Not only do, why does this movie start where it starts, but why does it start where it starts? Like, what is it about this um, setting? <laughs> like, I want to talk about this for just a hot second because, like, the word emperor wouldn't be an Incan term. It's a Western term, right? Yep. And and while this movie doesn't stray into the territory of, like, straight-up cultural appropriation, um. I gotta ask, why in the world are do we? Does it even need the backdrop of this ancient Incan culture? Yeah, that's kind of funny. I just always thought like the term emperor and all that stuff. It was just it was a play on the emperor's new clothes. So like right. I just kind of never questioned that. And but you're right, it is odd. It's like they don't really do much with the Incan like setting. It's it's very much just <laughs> like a backdrop and like uh, so that we can have our characters run around in a jungle. Yeah, it's somewhere deep in the jungle. And I'm like, okay, well, all right. It just doesn't seem to use it's it's got this great backdrop. And I just don't think it's used. Well, it my my theory on this would be the earlier draft of this before they changed it, you you know, you you mentioned that it was a more serious movie. And now Mm -hmm. it's now it's more of a burlesque really must have used Colombian Colombian mythology, the setting Uh, the culture in a more realistic way. They came up with great visuals. And then in the rewriting of this, right? right, Those, those elements fall away, but you don't want to throw away the cool visuals. And there's all this American modernity, you know, with the gags or the, like the roller coaster getting to the lab. Oh my gosh. That bit is fantastic. It's, it's so, it like, yeah, it's so 
outrageous and it does it takes pot shots at every single little cliche of like the villain and the disney like kind of like setup and stuff because there's always a layer and now it's like well let's make getting to the layer really goofy and fun <laughs> right exactly but it is it is kind of funny you know when we talk about movies you know not demonstrating you know disney is very much aware now about the need to show diverse cultures and diverse peoples sure uh, this this movie doesn't highlight that but uses it right like yeah. I, i'm not i'm not going to go with andy that it's cultural appropriation like i wouldn't go that far with it no no, no, no. I, wouldn't and I wouldn't either neither, i wouldn't either i think it's funny i just think it's it's just weird it's just I think weird. it's it's <laughs> in a weird way it's almost like like refreshing that it's like cuz cuz the story is about the people and it's like it's it's almost like it's a it's a normal like they they present it almost like it's modern day in that it's just like yeah this is the world we live in and moving on like kind of thing instead of like focusing on like the specifics so it's it's almost like i don't know i i, I find it very interesting and like sort of it was hmm, how do i phrase this it was a, a a bold move to like kind of use it but not use it it in a weird way made it feel normal and natural right um, i would not have uh shied away from having more you know references and actual have the culture be a more of a part of the plot i would i would have definitely liked that However, it doesn't, like we said, it, like it does not go into the area of cultural appropriation. It doesn't treat any of the elements like with disrespect. It's just kind of like, these are the people and we're just telling a really weird story here. I don't know why, but we're just, we're Which doing we could it here. Which we could have absolutely taken this story to like, oh, I don't Mars. know. Uh, yeah, it could be like a- It could be an alien planet- yeah. Yeah. Or we take this guy out of the city and put him in the country, right? Yeah. And he has to. You know, it could be any. It could be any setting. So, mm-hmm. anyway, that was just a thought of yeah. mine. Yeah. It like normalizes it in yes. a weird way. Yeah. So plot. Sorry. I'm gonna Larry. move us towards plot. <laughs> and, we'll get to plot. Uh, I, I want to start us off with the exposition of mm-hmm. this, which I again I, w- I want to point out we don't get we don't start with the exposition. We start with we start with the middle of the movie and then we work our way to the exposition. And the movie makes an interesting choice to have Cusco narrate his own story. Mm. He's an unreliable narrator because obviously right. what we what we see of him doesn't actually match what he's saying about himself. But the world is also not a realistic world. It, there's a lot. There's a lot going on here. Uh, so I, I guess my ultimate question for you would be: Why do we need um, Cusco to narrate his own story? What do we get from that? I, I think that it adds thematically. It like it adds character wise and thematically to really nail nail down that point of like how selfish and narcissistic and self serving he is, especially in that beginning, and it kind of helps. He doesn't have a narration at the end, does he? No. See, yeah, that's like it's almost like he grows out of it because Mm -hmm. he grows as a person, and I feel like that it matches character wise really well to help like nail down that like 
look how much of an arrogant jerk he is. He's narrating his own story, and he's not even telling it correctly, just to make <laughs> himself look even cooler. Right, right, right. The narration falls out when we actually catch up to that middle point where he's crying as a llama. Yeah, yeah, uh, he yells at all himself. alone. He he has yes. a conversation with himself, and then the narration drops out. Mm-hmm. Um, I again, I think this is we really want to set our compass for this is our protagonist and like him, uh, especially considering he does some unlikable things. Mm-hmm. Well, he's funny, and that's why we like him, right? I mean, yeah. and we also like him, I think, because the song. Perfect world is being sung ironically by Tom Jones it's because this the is best not Disney it's the best ever. I love it. I Tom love it. Jones. And he, here he is, and he's singing this, uh, you know, ironically. And we have this perfect world it that's is... only perfect for one person. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh! Kushka, yeah, that right? opening that opening sequence kills me every single time I watch it. It's, it's just the baby, it's the so baby stamp, funny. the baby yeah. stamp with a kiss. That's the best. That's my favorite. Um, <laughs> I'm going to throw it. out to you, this movie defies structure in so, in so many ways. If I was going to ask you, the inciting incident is the event that happens that gets our movie going. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I have so many different answers as to what we could point to for the inciting incident here. Um, yeah. Like, why, what, why, is, why is this movie happening? Um, I'll throw out, I'll, I'm going to throw out a bunch of them, if you don't mind. Oh, go ahead. We could say the inciting incident is Cusco has made the decision to tear down uh, Paca's Paca's uh, Mount, yeah, his hill, his hill to to build his his Theme water park. slide. <laughs> right. Summer home. <laughs> we could also argue that the inciting incident is that he fires Isma. Yeah, but. We could also argue that the inciting incident is when he gets transformed into a llama. Right. Right? And it's not any one of these, but obviously two of them are are related on the same thread. The uh, Cusco and Yzma bit are on the same thread there. But what's happening with Pacha is entirely irrelevant to what's happening with Yzma. Yzma's not prompted to 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 stop Cusco because Cusco has anything to do with the mountain. Isma doesn't care about that. No point does that mountain get on her radar as a thing that she wants torn down or not. No, Isma wants the throne. Yeah. That's what Isma wants. And if if Cusco's in the way of it yeah. and why not? She wants power. It's two separate events. Yep. That are just happening at the same time coincidentally. Yeah. Uh so inciting incidents it's inciting coincidence that's right because <laughs> i don't, it's like, I don't the, know the turn the turn the, the the emotional turn is i have to ask this guy who i'm screwing over for help i'm yeah. i'm destroying this guy's house and now that's the guy i have to rely on like it's like a weird because you're right like it's not connected but it's used as this like emotional turn for Kuzco, but it is, yeah, it's like a separate, I don't know. Without, I, see, I, I always figured that just him getting turned into the llama was the inciting incident. And now granted, it does happen fairly late in the film. The movie, the movie is only, it, if you don't include credits, that movie is an hour and 12 minutes. Yeah. That's it. 
This like podcast will so, be longer, guaranteed. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like it's so short, and so yeah. Like your inciting incident needs if your if your film is that length, your inciting incident should happen on page like nine or eight or something like that. Like fairly, fairly soon, yeah, really early. But yeah. that doesn't happen until like what seventeen minutes into it, something like that. Yep. It's like yep. a lot of setup and emotional. Like we're setting up these pins that we're later going to knock down, but they're not. Hmm. Without being able to 100% identify the inciting incident, this gets harder and harder to identify the rising action of this because you could keep saying, oh, no, the inciting incident. You could go further down and say, oh, what Brett just pointed out, that Pacha and Cusco have to work together to get Cusco back when when Pacha Mm -hmm. agrees to go on the journey. The journey home is the inciting incident. Right. What where I do know is the rising action is going to stop when we get to our climax. Our climax is when the forces of good and evil uh, are, face one another, where dramatic tension is at its highest. Um, and I, I think we'll all say that the climax is easy to define. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I mean, I think I'll say it. I think when that they find that, you know, before they, they're back at the lab, they're trying to find the anecdote to the poison to make Cusco human. Yeah. And here's Yzma, and she emerges to kill Cusco. Yeah. It's the potions duel. Yeah. Sure. Right? That's that's exactly it. Which reminds me so much of the Sword in the Stone, which we did a few uh a few po- episodes ago, uh, where they're both getting transformed into various things and right. Like, yeah, no, so that's I the actually, big climax. You you saying this actually I, I just had a thought. And I believe Cusco's narration might actually help pinpoint the inciting incident because since we start with him talking about himself and then going back and starting the the story over again, when he brings up Yzma, he's talking to her. I don't remember his exact dialogue, but he's basically saying like, this is her. This is the girl. This is the woman that did all this stuff. So with him, making a point of like zeroing in on her would that not then make his firing of her the inciting incident because it's like because of his narration it's almost him looking back going i shouldn't have done that that's interesting i kind of have as my inciting incident in my notes that the firing of yzma is really where it starts because he also he when he if he had not fired yzma he would not be in front of pacha Yzma would be taking care of Pacha and we wouldn't have a story. Yeah. And yeah. So <laughs> what we're seeing here is traditional story structure fails us a little bit. Yeah, um, it does. And I think that's going to be related to when we talk about our protagonist problem a little bit later, um, that, that the movie is very much concerned that we will think Pacha is the protagonist and that Cusco isn't. And because of that, we've got these two, we've got these two, they're, they're fighting for protagonist and the movie comes in with the narration to weigh it. Nope, it's this guy that you might otherwise think is the villain. And, and because of that, we've got this weird structural issue. Yeah. Should we talk about the characters? Let's jump in. What do you guys think of Cusco? We've talked about him a little bit. Um, I mean, it's very clear that Disney, like wrote this for him like it's very clear they had david spade and they were like we're gonna make a movie for david spade like you know how donkey was written for eddie murphy and you know uh, 
Shrek was originally written for Chris Farley, but I mean, Mike Myers is, you know, so, but it's, it's very obvious that it was written for a personality. It was written like, sure. you know, Jeannie was written for Robin Williams kind of thing and how they took him and his sensibilities and merged it in with Kuzco. And he's de definitely like a heightened extreme version, but like. David Spade isn't exactly like you hire David Spade, you're getting David Spade. You you know, you're not, he's right, not going to slip sarcasm. into like, yeah, he's not going to like slip deep into a character where you're like, oh my gosh, did you know that's David Spade? Like they're hiring <laughs> David Spade to be David Spade. But, right, but putting, right. putting that aside, the, the, the character that we're talking about, that David Spade character is narcissistic, mm -hmm. vain, conceited, pretends to, snarky when he's confident but when there's the first uh sign of trouble uh tends to become timid and cowardly mm -hmm. uh in the face of adversity he's all talk uh, and no action yes that that's exactly and that's exactly who Cusco is to a degree uh i'm i'm going to throw out to you i remember liking him better uh when the first time i saw this movie uh there's something about having a character uh who was born with everything who surrounds himself with people who who will do whatever he says and never challenges his, his delusions who does not take his responsibilities seriously and approaches the common people as if they're nothing is willing to tear down their their mm. their estate in order to build a place to amuse himself mm -hmm. there's something about that that I can't put my finger on it Mm. There's well, something we, about that that rubs yeah, me the man. wrong way in 2021. We're, we're certainly fortunate we've never seen a character like that, you know, in our world oh, in real life. Yeah, that could would you, be terrible. Could you imagine? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you almost want to turn him into a llama. Oh man! Uh, <laughs> I mean, do you blame Isma really? For See, Isma well, is the I'm true saying. protagonist. So, so if it was not, <sighs> so, so one of the problems with this movie. I would argue is Cusco is the equivalent of the villains from other Disney movies. Yes. Yeah. The evil queen mm -hmm. um, from Snow White, uh, the queen of hearts from Alice in Wonderland. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, the, these people who are, are in these abusive powers and, and have these powers solely to self gratify. Yeah. Right. And, and what this movie postulates is um, through adversity, that narcissism can be, uh, can be redeemed, and I don't. I don't know that I'm there anymore. <laughs> I may have been there. I love a good redemption story. I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I feel that way about uh, about narcissists anymore. Um, See, for me, it's more like I, I'm. I'm more okay with it because it's to me. It seems that the the narcissistic trait is gone by the end of the film. Because of his embracing of uh, an actual family and stuff like that. Is it that. completely gone though? I don't know that. It's I mean, maybe completely not completely. Gone. I guess because he's still a king, but or he's still emperor. But I mean, right, he's at the right. very least not you know destroying people's property for his own stuff, and he's had a genuine human connection for once, and like a friend right. kind of thing. He's I think better that than he him, was. At least. He's yeah. I mean, better I think, than he was. Yeah, I, I think Cusco yeah. is completely lonely. I mean, I, I get that through the whole, you know, the Tom, you know, he, he orders things and he mm -hmm. commands things, but he fires Yzma, right? And then goes to her house for dinner. 
Do you know right? who, like who does that? Yeah. Do you know who Cusco is though? Cusco is the beast before the beast was mm. transformed. That spoiled kid yeah. with all yeah. of the servants without the without the good enchantress to come in and turn him into a, it's the same story cuz Isma really will is. do it. Mm-hmm. Uh in a, in a in a in a fit of vindictiveness. But but it's it's like we're seeing the prequel to Beauty and the Beast in these opening sequences. Um interesting. Yeah, I never thought about that. That's kind of No, I, that just came to me now, but I'm, I'm very <laughs> pleased with it. I'm down. I believe you I believe you wrestled with that for, you know, months. Oh, yes, yes. No, this is my thesis. Um, you sold I'll, it. I'll, I'll be working on it. Let's move on to Pacha. Yes. So uh, Pacha is innocent and traditional and loves llamas. I mean, right? if you cast John Goodman, you're just you're guaranteed to have that like charming, warm and fuzzy feeling. Like he is so gentle and like sounding and just like I don't know. I I I firmly believe that if you if John Goodman was in every single movie, it would make every single movie just that much better. <laughs> so, I love John Goodman in a lot of things. I loved him in Monster Monsters Inc. Oh, as yeah. uh, as yeah, Sully, he's fantastic there. And I I think he he comes off very real in this movie, which mm. is not a very real movie. Mm. Uh, and I'm going to have a controversial controversial take, and I, <gasps> I'm not laying my blame at Pacha here, uh, at, at John Goodman. Here. Pacha <laughs> is boring. He's <gasps> innocent, traditional, and he loves llamas. That's I mean, and the only thing, his call to action is really when Cusco comes to, and again, Cusco comes to him, right? And says, I'm going to tear down your sweet little village. Yeah. And so then I'm like, well, is Pacha the protagonist? Is this movie about right. Pacha? That's my next, you know. I think and, and, not and the Pacha, There's this moment where the little, the little house from the model falls off and Pacha picks it up very gently and tries to put the roof back on it. Pacha mm-hmm. is working so hard. He's such a good guy, but you know what? He's that's it. That's all he is. He's just that's a true. good guy. He is um, he is there's... kindness personified, like essentially. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. but I think like structurally that that's like that's that's what Kuzco needs. Because he is so selfish. He needs someone to say, I understand that you're gonna be a jerk to me, but I'm still gonna do what's right because it's what's right. And th- I think that's like that is one of the very few things that I think yeah. could actually turn Kuzco as a character is seeing selflessness, and like I think that's what Pacha is like great for. They're definitely and Pacha oppositional also doesn't foils. enable Pacha doesn't enable Cusco's. Well, you're going to take me back to the village. No, I'm really not. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know. But, but you know, there's a version of this movie that ends with Cusco being turned into a llama, being driven away. And Pacha lives happily ever after. Sure. Like, like it. It's only. Oh, I. I just want something else from Pacha. Just mm. that one ingredient more. And I. I think the performance, the delivery is fine. I just don't think it's. I think don't think it's on the page. That thing that would make me say, "Hey, I want to see more of Pacha." Right. Um, right. He ser- he serves his purpose. Like that's about you yes. know, like he serves his purpose for the story, and he does it well. But he doesn't do much beyond that. Yes. All right. Yeah. Isma. 
Let's talk about Yzma. Eartha Kitt! I love her. And I, you know, this time when I watch this, and I haven't seen this movie in a long time, but is it really funny that she's so old and with Kronk anymore? Because I don't think these dinosaur jokes have aged well. And maybe it's just because I'm getting older. <laughs> and I'm the one looking at my wrinkly skin. But like, maybe, you know, hmm. There are so many good re- ways to make fun of Yzma. That going by her appearance and her age, which are things that are not under her control, is right. low. Is low. So. Also very indicative of 90s humor. Yes. Yes. It's this this goofball, like, we're being mean, but we're doing it in a cheeky way. It Like, it littered 90s comedy. And it's kind of like, for right or for wrong, it's, it's kind of just like a test of the if, time. It is you, what it is. <laughs> if you move the joke a little bit to the left, and mm-hmm. you don't have it be about her appearance, but you have it be about her behavior... If right. he calls her a dinosaur, and then we see like a servant like bumps into her, and T Rex style, she roars and right. she moves her hands and starts knocking over things in in like the banquet yeah. hall. Then it's fair, it's mm-hmm. fair to critic call her a dinosaur, but because of, to constantly harp on her age and her looks uh, is mean. Is mean. Well, and what's funny is I think. And at least on this viewing, I was rooting for Yzma. I'm like, you know what? Cusco deserves to be a llama or maybe not be dead. But, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't is condone Yzma, that. But you're like, okay, she wants to poison him. I get it. Is Yzma wrong <laughs> to get rid of Cusco? No. Cusco is a monster. <laughs> I don't really think is. Yzma is better. But Yzma points out that she has effectively raised Cusco, given her mm-hmm. life over in service to him. And yes, she 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 does definitely does a little bit more, but it is the firing of her that prompts her into action to try to take the reins and have it be be her world a little bit. Right. Um I want to argue to you there is something that we could see with Isma that I wish we could see. We never get to see Isma enjoying being on the throne and we never mm. get to see her be worse than Cusco. Yeah, and it's I've, just that montage that and then immediately Kronk is like, yeah, I, uh, maybe he's not dead. <laughs> right. I I would want, definitely help I want to see not not that they miss Cusco, but I want to see Isma get on that throne and things get worse for everybody. Yeah. Not because Cusco was so good, but because Isma is so terrible. Yeah. She's even right. worse. I mean, I, I want I want her to be twice the son of hell that Cusco is, right? <laughs> yes. I, that's what I want. I want Yzma to be worse than she is because right now she's understandable. <laughs> I, I mean, I get it. Not <laughs> oh, since not since sorry. Edgar the Butler have I been like <laughs> in the Aristocats, have I been like, I get it. The woman left the left her money to the cats instead of you. Kill the cats. I get it. <laughs> And, and I understand why Yzma does what she does. Oh, my goodness. She's disgruntled. Oh, she is disgruntled. But she does have Kronk. 
And we should talk about Kronk. <laughs> Kronk and that is, is a real, like I mean, that amazing. is a cool relationship. And the I, fact well, that... I love, like, so it's, it's, they have the servant thing. Like, I love how uh, David Spade has that measure where he's like, this year's model is called Kronk. It was just like, she goes through them, you know, whatever. Who knows if she kills them or not? Like, why she goes through a bunch of them. But, like, whether they, like, screw up and then she fires him or whatever. But like I, I thought, I always think that dynamic of like this—he's—he's he's literally a satire of like the the dumb sidekick, like from like 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 uh, 101 Dalmatians and mm-hmm. all those. Like that is it taken to the extreme with Kronk, and I mean I fall in love with him every time oh, I watch Kronk this is movie. fantastic. Patrick Warburton <laughs> is like a gift. He just. <laughs> I, I enjoy him as well, but I will say there's a weird thing that they do with Kronk that they don't do with your LeFous and your Mr. Smees of the world, which uh-huh. is Kronk kind of becomes our third point of view character. Yep. Um, has his own mor- moral crossing points where he has yeah. to decide mm-hmm. what's right and what's wrong. Um, th- what they do, in effect, is sort of make him a protagonist. He's a, he's a lesser protagonist to to that of um Cusco or, or or Pacha but uh but he is like like he has his good angel and his bad devil on his shoulders mm-hmm. he he selectively struggles with right and wrong mm-hmm. uh, i i might argue i don't know why sometimes he doesn't struggle and sometimes he does right uh but like he's totally down to poison Cusco but when it comes to like you know, killing him as a llama, that's too far. Um, but, but, it, well, but I mean, if anything, we know that as a society, we humans definitely like animals more than each other. I mean, yeah, that's true. <laughs> how much sadder are you when you hear about someone's dog dying than when you hear about like a random person dying? Like, be honest, you're sadder about the dog. It may not be right, but we love animals so much more. No, but my, but point- we don't want to see Kronk, we don't want to see Kronk get just, overrun by Yzma, right? We don't want to see he's that. He's very and sympathetic, so, yeah. And because there is, if if he were just to go along with Yzma, there would be some moral ambiguity in the film. And I think the fact that he goes along with her and then decides not to go along with her later on, I think that, or at least has some struggle with that, I think is... But then he goes along with her again, and then he doesn't go along with her again. That's true. He's all over the map. You're right. You're right. I don't get it either. (laughs) He's whatever he needs to be for the story at that moment. If Cusco needs to get away, Kronk is a good person. If Yzma needs to smart in the ways of evil, like I think he just—he's just yeah. He's and I don't think he go. I mean, like the only thing he's motivated by it seems to be his cooking. I here's what I would argue. Here's what I'll argue for Kronk. I think Kronk literally, we know he literally sees a bad angel, a bad devil and a good angel on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. What we don't see is it's happening all of the time. And yeah, he sometimes, sometimes one guy wins and sometimes the other guy wins and it is constantly happening. And there's no rhyme or reason to which one comes out on top at any given moment, except <laughs> for what the story dictates. One of my all time favorite jokes in this movie is the mm-hmm. first time that the uh, angel and devil showed up? Show up? Yes. Yeah. And the devil goes, "This is why I'm right. Two reasons. Number one, and he does a handstand with one hand. And what kills it is the fact that Crunk goes, "I don't know what that has to do." And the angel goes, "No, no, no, no. He has a point. 
That is one of the most absurd and random moments in the whole movie. Why so does doing a handstand actually make a difference in your decision swaying? Like what? And why does the angel understand that this does make a difference? Like what is what is there? This it's such an odd disconnect. It's just, I think that's comedic gold. Super good. Okay, Pacha's family. Ugh. We have Chicha, we have Chaka, and Tipo. Chicha, Chaka, and Tipo, huh? Chicha, Chaka, and Tipo, right? Yeah. The the wife and the cute kids. I I argue. Those kids are not cute. What? They are not cute. Stop it. Andy. Andy, they are... She has a loose tooth, my God. (laughs) He's measuring measuring himself against how tall his dad was when they were little. Come on, man. Visually... They are not yeah. designed to be cute. They are designed to be um, like like a little bit like their siblings and their bratty, but they're not Disney cute is what I mean to say. That's, okay. that's true. You know, Especially the girl. And the girl I is... think that's intention. They are not, for mm-hmm. example, the, the two kids in Aladdin who are hungry and need bread and are absolutely adorable and you just want to adopt them. Right. They, and I think that's in, on purpose because mm. if they were cuter, we would feel how monstrous Cusco is much more because he's mm. evicting these cute kids. But these kids are like, they're like annoying in the way that kids sometimes are. <laughs> um, and and they like antagonize each other and they're a little bit bratty, but I don't Okay, like- so you don't think that this the kid measuring himself up against the, you know, the the house, the side, the door frame... Where his father had his own, you know, that's where we made my mark, and that's where we're making your mark, and then we're kicking you out of this house. Nope. See, I don't, uh, I don't even disagree. like them, Andy. I don't I, even like these kids. Oh, that's so sad. I, I will agree that I, they are not stereotypical <laughs> Disney cute. However, I think they are adorable in their truthfulness. I think yes. they are extremely truthful as children. And yes. her being this like awkward, like she's drawn, like she's in that awkward, like teenage, like Pippi Longstocking stage of her life, like the daughter is. And so like that weird proportion, it's just like, she's going through a weird growth spurt. She has the loose tooth. Like they may not be like stereotypical Disney cute, but they're like, like I, I every time they're I see real. them, I'm like, these are real kids. Kind these of. These yeah. are kids yeah. from the perspective of exasperated parents. They are your kids when they come up to you and ask for the hundredth time, who's your favorite superhero? After you've answered that question 99 (laughs) times earlier that day. Oh no, it's Larry having flashbacks. They are not the best parts of being kids. Look, look, look. Like, we, they're not, there's, there's no sweetness to them. They can't all be beggars, Larry. I mean, you. I, I can't I, I all love, be beggars. Guys, by the way, for people listening at home, I love kids. And if you ever introduce me to your kids, you'll find that I'll ignore you because I want to hang out with your kids instead. That's that's a thing about me. But in this movie, uh, I don't think we're supposed to, like. I think they're concerned about it. us liking them too much. Because if yeah. we like them too much, it makes Cusco a bigger monster. Interesting. Okay, I was, interesting. I, felt, interesting I just felt point. like um, it's actually. I was actually surprised by how little of the family, the full family was actually in the movie because I remembered 
Like, I just remembered them more. Like, I think right. I, for me, they're very memorable uh, characters in in their truthfulness as these, like, awkward, like, kind of goofy, kind of annoying kids. I really, really enjoy uh, Pacha's wife as a character. I think there's a, a real, like, genuine sweetness and tenderness in their relationship that is displayed through, like, very, very small moments. And we and it's almost a shame that we don't get more of them because, like, I, re- I watched it and I was like, wait. That's that's all the time we have with his family. I remember right. them more. Well, Pacha can't bring himself to tell his family that, you know, they're going to get evicted. <laughs> I mean, and who could? I mean, because they're so cute and she's pregnant. Larry's but face anyway. is amazing right here. He really desperately <laughs> wants to say something. Speak, Larry. I have something Speak. so smart to say, guys. Um, <laughs> say but, it. But no, here's the real issue with, with Pacha's family is that they're Pacha's family, and there is no time spent developing relationships between mm. them and Cusco. That's if Cusco true. spent time with the little boy and, like, played with him for a little bit, or, or like, listened to mom tell a story to to little girl and like he gets into the bed with her and like like he's he's like he wants hot cocoa with marshmallows too you could do those things yeah, and have him fun. generate a sibling relationship with Pacha's children yeah. and then they would be adorable because we would see we would see Cusco learning to adore them we would mm. and we never develop those relationships and one of the things that I've learned is Everyone needs to be connected to your protagonist. And when you've got mm-hmm. characters who are connected not to your protagonist, but but are two degrees away, they yeah. don't mean that much. Well, interestingly, as you were talking, I was started thinking about how um, Yzma raised Cusco. And the, you know, we're seeing Pacha and Chicha raise the kids. And if we watched Cusco, you know, spend some time with Yzma as a mother figure. Yes. And then spend some time with Chicha and Pacha as parent figures, I think we would get that contrast that that I, I'm with you. I think we're foiling. missing it. Always yeah. be foiling. And if you Always make her, if foiling. you make them foils of each other, Yzma and yeah. Chicha, then then you've got something there and he can realize yeah. there's a thing that he's been missing out on that he never even knew he wanted. He never right. even knew it existed. He should be right. becoming the sixth member of this family, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, and being adopted into them and coming and to it love sort of them. happens. It sort of happens right. at the end. Yeah, but it it's doesn't there, feel, it but doesn't it's feel not earned. Like a, yeah, it doesn't yeah. feel earned. It needs that's, to be that's about another him criticism with, I have of this movie with all of them. Yeah, not yeah, just yeah. Pacha. Yeah, very cool. Larry, I know in pre-production you wanted to talk about others, people who are missing in this film. Yes, this you is felt a like vi- there, there were some. You felt like there were some characters that, and we've never had this, I don't think before, but you felt like there were some characters that probably needed to be there that weren't. Yes, because because uh, this is an empire, right? This is such a big world. Like when you say empire, I imagine that Cusco's decisions impact so many people. And yet there's a handful of characters here. And in them, the only person who's been a part of Cusco's life is Yzma. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm. The only person he has dinner with is Yzma. Kronk is there, but Kronk is the help. Yeah. Right? Right. Um, right. And 
why don't we see some moments? And Andy, you had said this earlier. I think Cusco is lonely. You're projecting that on Cusco. Right. Uh, and, and, and I think you're right to project it there because he should be lonely. Yeah. Loneliness right. in family. Like, yeah. he's alone with Yzma. And, and where are the other people in his life who he could be having relationships with and is choosing not to make those relationships? Where's the bodyguard that he always ignores? Where's, where's the person who, like, the people that he needs to get to know as people who he only sees as functionaries? Where right. is Cusco realizing? He's the lonely person who doesn't realize he's alone. He's, he tosses the guy out the window who um, throws, off, know, his throws, off, his throws off his groove, but and then he apologizes to him at the end of the yeah, movie. At the end, of the, at movie, the, end yeah. of the movie, but we don't really see anything develop in between that. What and that's with and that, that's really with that the character. Thing. Right. Where where are his other flawed relationships? Right, and, mm-hmm. and you know, it's such an empty world. It's it really just a handful of characters. You brought something up that like I think is. It's almost implied, but it's something that they never took advantage of. And that is, you're talking about how Yzma is like, I raised him. Why is he treating me like this? However, mm-hmm. if we look at Kuzco's opening and his narration, and from his point of view, when he says, uh, when he goes back and he's a baby, there's eight hands handing him a toy. Mm-hmm. So I want to know which one of those hands was Yzma's. And maybe right. it's, it's like... Yzma has a connection to him because there's only one Kuzco and she has right. raised him, but he doesn't have a connection to her because she's one of 80 people around him that are constantly doing things for him. But that wasn't like, and it's like almost implied, but it's never like, that's never a thing. And that, that mm. feels like that's a wasted opportunity. And that could have been a thing. It's like comparing Yzma being like, I raised you and him being almost like, I don't, who are you? This well, version know. of the movie where we see that he had eight advisors and that one after the other, Yzma has eliminated the other advisors until she's the only one left. Mm-hmm. And she does everything for Kuzco and is effectively ruling the kingdom and he's just a figurehead is a much more dramatic opening to this movie. Right. Right. And like right. he still can't remember her name, even though she's the only one left. Like Right, right, right. Yeah. Let's talk about Brett. You in pre-production, you were talking about this movie. Um, the idea of this film was a satire. Do you want to yeah, speak to that? Yeah, I a actually. Bit? So it's really interesting. I had never viewed the movie like this before, and then upon this watch, I kind of like just started picking up on a few things, and I feel like this is almost like just an anti-Disney film in that, like, it takes all of your typical Disney tropes and then just like turns them on its mm. head. Whereas, like, you have like instead of the like you have the traditional like once upon a time in a tr- in a valley far away and like you have that kind of opening and like we're spoofing that with him going like all right so let's start at the beginning whoa wait 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 wait, wait. that's me as a child that's way too far all right let's start where we need to start this like it's already making fun of that formula of like we're telling you a tale far off kind of thing <laughs> and then again we 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 kind of talked about it where like he's a reverse of your uh protagonist typical disney princess she is the ruler of the kingdom she or or maybe she's not the ruler yet but she is benevolent she is lovely she is perfect the animals chirp when she walks through the woods like she is the perfect person 
Cusco. He's a dude, he's a prince, and he is a jerk. He would actually be the villain of the film kind of thing. Like, so we're, right. we're, we're twisting that again. So, but if your, your main character is a jerk, then your villain needs to like be in the stratosphere, which is what Yzma is. Now we, we kind of do identify with her and think that maybe she's not fully in the wrong because of how much of a jerk he is. But Eartha Kitt is so over the top with her performance. Like mm-hmm. it's absolutely making fun of like malevolent and, or um, uh, Maleficent and like her different, like the kind of very over the top classic Disney witches. Like that's what she is. She is a Disney witch. She gives him a, oh, a, interesting. a poison, like something, a poison thing that, you know, it, instead of putting him to sleep, it turns him into a llama like kind of thing. So then, and then again, like I mentioned earlier, like Kronk is like the bumbling sidekick just taken to the absolute extreme. Mm. Um, and, and also I think, I think John Goodman basically replaces the role of Prince Charming. It's like, instead of a Prince Charming here to save the hero it, and, and form a romance, it is now a bromance and mm. it's John Goodman and he's just doing it to be a good person. And like, I don't know. I, I, I think John Goodman being just a really good man is just like far better than any Prince Charming I've ever seen. <laughs> like I, I would take a million John Goodmans just being a damn good person, you know? He's just a decent human being in this movie and that he may not be like interesting or whatever. But um, but that's, you know, instead of that Prince Charming traditional, I'm a man and I'm going to come in and rescue the damsel in distress. It's like this guy who doesn't even like your hero, but because he has a good heart, he's like, well, I'm still going to do the right thing kind of thing and so you mentioned you mentioned bromance um is this this is a buddy comedy oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah for sure let's talk a little bit about buddy comedies a little bit i mean the movies that i see with similarities i kind of just thought i was just kind of sitting down and brainstorming but i came up with like the odd couple um trading places Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and of course, Tommy Boy, right? Oh, classics. Because this movie, about 25 minutes in, becomes a Pacha Cusco story. Yes. And Pacha's the opposite of Cusco, right? I mean, they're definitely foiled. Like, Mm -hmm. um, they're... You know that's the classic that's the classic pairing in a in a buddy comedy that you get two people who are opposites and you put them together and and watch them spark with each other again and again and again because those opposites are seemingly irreconcilable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think you I think you're absolutely right, Andy. This is a, this is intended as a buddy comedy. The movie that occurred to me though, and I can I combine this with protagonist problems because I of I think there is sure. Bring it. Um, I, th- I think we've alluded to it. Uh, so the movie that I was comparing this to was Toy Story. Uh, specifically, Woody and Buzz go on a similar sort of buddy buddy oh, yeah. comedy adventure, trying to get back to Andy's house, right? They go on a journey. They're opposites. But the thing about that buddy comedy is both of them have things to learn along the way and can only learn those things from from each other. Right? right, Buzz and Woody are both flawed. They both have positive traits, and in the balance through their interactions, they both come out the other side better able to love Andy than they were before they went on that journey. Right. Here, we have one character who has all the flaws and one paragon of virtue. Right. Yeah. And it, for me, is Pacha? 
fundamentally changed by this journey? Does he learn something about himself? Does he change and grow? And the answer to me is, I can't point out to it. He is so good at the beginning, and he's still so good at the end. He yeah. doesn't change. He has nothing no. to learn from Kuzco. He's to yeah. facilitate Kuzco's change, yeah. That's it. There's nothing that he's supposed to be learning from Kuzco. And I would like it if Kuzco actually taught him to value himself a little bit more. Mm. Like that, I mean, so you say that Cusco's trait is taken to the extreme. Pacha, like, gives all of himself to other people. And Cusco should say, you know, like, Pacha, you're taking risks for me. You have to stop taking risks for me. I'm not worth it. Right. right. Yeah. And, or, or say, Pacha, Pacha, like, why do you, why do you see the value in everybody but yourself? What yeah. like if there could be th that's th that's the missing ingredient for Pacha for me. Yeah, I mean, I think it feels more like when I think of a, it feels more like a classic buddy movie where maybe it's just about the slapstick and not as much yeah. about the content. So it's more like, um, like a Martin and Lewis or Hope and Crosby, sure, or even Abbott and Costello, right? Yeah, it, Laurel and Hardy. I mean, these they they never really change. They just are yeah. the same. Wilder and They're, Pryor. Right. There you go. Um, yeah. It's the same kind of feel. It's, yeah, it's definitely that. I mean, I, I think not that's not to say that I dislike films that have a strong through line and a theme and characters that change and like everyone, you know, it's not that I don't value that. But I think mm -hmm. personally why there's like a reason that this movie like hit me as a kid and that and it's gone on and that's because like to me this was almost like the first example i saw of disney being like all right we've told our stories before this time we're just about having fun and just like we're just gonna go all out on being like goofy and hilarious and it feels like, like that enchanted was, in that way enchanted mm, yeah. like that where it just kind of plays we know what we're doing we know our formula and we're gonna play with it a little bit yeah and maybe it was because of this kind of satirical take on their own formula that they that they almost felt they didn't need to have a few of those like character moments because it's like well we're kind of like skirting over some of this by like spoofing ourselves um because you know we're not gonna you've seen that you've seen that in snow white you've seen that in this movie mm -hmm. that's not what this movie's here for you know when we think about protagonist problems like i i think you know i was asking myself is this movie more about Cusco? is it more about pacha is it more about yzma and there, and there comes a point where we're just all Pacha all the time. And Cusco even says, like, stops the movie and says, oh, hey, by the way, this isn't about him. It's about me. Okay. <laughs> right. All right. Yeah. Here, I'm going to cross him out, literally with a little, little whiteboard, right? I'm going to cross <laughs> him out. Um, and, and then Yzma gets, gets her day where she, mm -hmm. it's just funny banter between yeah. the two of them. And it doesn't really, I mean, it's cartoony and it's fun. And I, I mean, I would watch it if the kids wanted to watch it tonight, I would watch it again. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like that driving narrative, it's just, it's not there. Right. It's a film there to showcase personalities. It's a road to Bali film. It's the, it's the road movies. Like mm -hmm. it's a, a lot like the Hope and Crosby movies. 
I was saying to Andy, this is the first time it's ever happened to me with one of these movies. I liked this movie more before I started analyzing it. And and the more I analyze it, the less I like it. Because it, it defies analysis, right? Um, yeah. Structurally, character arc-wise, um, I, I, I know what I want from movies when I think about them. The right. less thinking I do here, the happier I am. Because I can enjoy the moment-to-moment play. Yeah, that's fair. The fun, right. the silliness, the jokes. Yeah. Um, but when I try to go deeper, that that's that's when <laughs> I start to work myself. This up. is not yeah. a deep film. It's just fun. See, that's it's why I almost think that they're deep. They were like, no, this isn't supposed to be character deep. This is like we're like satire. Like we're we're doing meta filmmaking here. We're making fun of our own formula. And like, I feel like this that's is like, gotta be like, yeah. It, I feel like it was this is them. Ren and Stimpy. It it's was Ren the and, animators yeah. almost like we're tired of our own formula, so let's just like riff on it. <laughs> I love it. Well, pitch time. If we give, if we're given the franchise, the Emperor's New Group, which is exhaustive. We have the Emperor's New Group. We have the Emperor's New School. We have Kronk's New Groove, and there's probably something I'm missing. No, I think I think that's the yeah. that's is all that of it. it. I um, I have not. Wa- I've seen a couple episodes of the show, but nothing like too much. I what? know a lot about those, but we can't get into them. No, uh, but but <laughs> so so Brett, what would what would you do? What would I mean, do? honestly, I I think there I, honestly I think there's only one more direction you can go. We've had we've had Cusco's new groove. We have Kronk's new groove. I want Isma's new groove. I want to see her like fully go through like i want to see an exaggeration of like maybe we have it's almost like this weird like sequel prequel where we watch her like go like horribly and then we like same with david spade like we meta like punch in on moments of the first movie and then we follow up afterwards but like that kind of simultaneous like you know storyline thing happening and yeah the the title for your movie should be how yzma got her groove back there it is. There it, there it is. is. So we're That's writing hilarious. this together, right? We're co-writing this, oh, right? Well, oh, sure. And I think Chicha needs a groove, period. Oh, She yeah. has no... I mean, she washes dishes when she's angry, and I'm like, come on, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely beef up those characters in the sequel. I know, and I think... I mean, what what is her life like? Or what is... Or maybe the kids grew up, and what are the kids right. doing? And what is... You know, I... I don't think there's a whole lot more we can do with this, but I'm boy, I'm sure interested to see what you guys think, Larry. <laughs> okay, so so mine mine is this: a sequel for this movie is difficult because this movie has um, a Buzz Lightyear problem, which is Buzz Lightyear. The thing that's fun about Buzz Lightyear is that he thinks he's alive. And when by, by t- when you get rid of that, mm-hmm. he's no longer interesting. And we'll right. talk about that with the Toy Story movies. The thing that's interesting about Cusco is he's a narcissistic jerk, and you get rid of that in this movie. So how do you solve that in the sequel? And right. the answer is this. Cusco's dad is actually still alive. Yzma <gasps> turned him into something and got rid what? of him earlier. But the enchantment, the enchantment is undone. He comes back. He's now the emperor. And he's exactly like Cusco was before uh, the That's before the, uh, the movie started. That's brilliant. And now you have brilliant. Cusco in the Pacha role. Yeah. And his dad in the emperor role. 
And you can do the same kind of story, but also make it a look how much Cusco has grown. I really like that. That's freaking brilliant. Yeah, that's a great idea. Good job. He's just had his masterpieces waiting for him in his sleep. He just closes his eyes and he's like, aha. Listen, we don't always hit it out of the park here, but this, I think this is a grand slam. Good deal. That's great. Brett, it has been so much fun talking with you about this movie. Thank you. I had a blast. I'm so glad. So, Larry, what are we talking about next week? Next week is my absolute favorite 20th century Disney movie, (gasps) Alice in Wonderland. Oh, nice. I love it. Sounds fun. Well, friends, you can find us at our Facebook page, Once Upon a Disney Podcast, and on Twitter at at Andy Redwine and at Larry Brenner 6. And should you have a pressing question for us to answer, you can always drop an email into our mailbag at Once Upon a Disney Podcast at gmail.com. So, friends, until next time, see you real soon. See you real soon.